building love that lasts. And already, already we are on page 18. So we have been cruising these days. We're on section three. It's about getting on the one team. I think I'll just dive right in and we'll go from there. Who has a hand up? Who? who? Chris. I don't know. I, I have a question. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, you, told, you told two weeks uh, before about yellow stuff. And I was wondering. Indeed. Yeah. It didn't go anywhere. It hasn't disappeared. It's only increased. You guys are helping it increase, and I feel glad about that. So go ahead. I, um, uh, well, it was the first time I was. Every time you speak, every time you speak, you're surrounded with a little box of yellow stuff on my, on my computer. Yes. It must mean something. You as well on my computer. <laughs> well, I, um, I was wondering because I once had an experience in my life where I had this, I felt like yellow. And I was wondering if, uh, if you're talking about something similar to this, when you talk about yellow stuff, or I would be interested in, in hearing more about this. I missed a couple of words. You said you saw yellow stuff. You heard about yellow stuff. What we say it again? The key element of what you were saying. I felt like yellow. I uh, I had like a, a brilliant yellow light when I it was when I had sex, and it was really uh, I never felt something like that before, and I never felt something like that after that, and I. <clears throat> I was wondering what this was because I, I felt like just the, the color yellow and it was a very nice feeling. I'll give you a hint, okay? Yes. Which is if you start really working with extraordinary and archetypal love, if you start learning how to navigate how to become a space holder for ordinary and archetypal spaces of love, stuff is going to happen. And if you try to grab on to the things when they happen, the little miracles, the amazing experiences, if you try to grab onto them as if they are something, as if they are the point, then you are trying to grab onto something in the past or that's not there anymore and you will lose your ability to stay in a very small present where navigating archetypal and extraordinary spaces of love happens it happens in a very small now so if you try to grip onto the things that happen you lose you like you fall out of grace you fall out of grace and so the this thing about staying in grace is a, is a, um, how do you say it? It's an archetypal uh, rope walking. You know, it's archetypal rope walking. It's like as soon as you get hooked, as soon as you have 
an emotional reaction come up as soon as you your projection hold on just one second uh, as soon as you do that it will uh, take you it'll take you right off of the the like it's like surfing in a way you know when you're surfing you've got to stay right at this certain angle on the board plus you have to balance plus you're there's nothing to to uh there's nothing to use as a reference point and accept your inner sensation your inner sensation is the reference point for navigating all this multi-dimensional stuff that's happening so as it, when you start doing the experiments and doing the, the research and tr trying things out, these things will happen, like really amazing kind of things will happen. And if you try to grab onto them, you're, you fall out of grace. So let the amazing things happen. And the best thing to do that I've learned is if, if you want something to have happened, write it down. It's almost like, if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. It's that kind of thing. It's like it's an alchemical act to write something down, to change it from an experience or a concept or an idea or a vision or a picture into words on paper is an alchemical action. So if you want to, something to have happened, it's like almost like if you don't write a dream down, you forget. I mean, that's how it is for me. And so if you wake up and immediately write it down, then you, you can read it later and go, ah, oh, yeah, I remember. So, so if you want something to have happened, write it down, but don't try to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. Trying to understand it limits you to just putting your center in your intellectual body, which is the wrong body to, to work from. Your mind is way too slow for all this stuff. So what we're doing is, is building up matrix the reason we do a study group like this is to build up matrix in your being as a way of sensing and detecting and noticing and and responding and actually not just responding but pretty soon after a while you start creating rather than just responding and so you know, we're only in page 18 so we should have this conversation on about page 458 so let's let's remember this, and we'll we'll come back to this. But it's um, it's great to just to those two things. Don't grab onto the thing when it happens, because then you'll fall out of grace. And if you want it to have happened, write it down. Just write down what happened. Don't write your opinions about it. Don't write analyzing it. Just write down what happened. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Yes. Are there any other questions? right now okay all right here we are <clears throat> getting on the one team all the readers of this book together form one exploration team I mean, these are wild things to say but at the one hand it's it's really true in a way because it takes something to find the book it takes something to be attracted to the book it takes something to actually read the book and do the experiments so it narrows the people down to a certain just some of the people 
people. They're not better people or superior people. They're just, in my opinion, uh, it's a kind of a hobby to love extraordinary and archetypal spaces of intimacy, to love transformation is a hobby. And if you, if you understand that you have this hobby, it's like some people like to tie hooks, like bird colored bird feathers onto fish hooks and try to catch fish in little streams. You know, some people like to do that. I don't like to do that. You know, there's, there's so many millions of people like to collect old postage stamps. You know, people like to take bugs and kill them in jars and stick pins through them and try to identify their species and put them in little boxes. There's people that have very, very weird hobbies. So this is a weird hobby. And if you can give yourself permission to have the weird hobby of alchemical transformation and navigating into extraordinary and archetypal spaces of love, then when you start talking about this to somebody else and they go, what the hell are you talking about? It's just my hobby, you know, and God, maybe we should talk about the weather, something else. So give yourself a lot of space. It's not like you don't have to think of yourself as an outcast or somebody who is uh, weird or like that. You don't have to think of yourself that way. Just think of yourself as having a weird hobby. And not only that, look, there's like 20 or 30 people here who have a similar kind of hobby. So you're not, you're not alone. You're in the archetypal love club. It's kind of like one, the exploration team of yellow stuff exploration team, the global yellow stuff exploration team. Here we go. There are no passengers on this team, no passengers. On this adventure, everyone has jobs to do. We are all crew members. It is not an us versus them situation, the haves and the have nots, the privileged and the marginalized. The work we are doing together is taking place at the edge of the known and the edge of modern culture. You are here, so you too are responsible for the success of this journey. If you sense that you have something to say, we depend on you to say it. This might not be fair, but as science fiction writer David Gerald says, nobody is the enemy. We're all just martyrs to evolution. Let's not go there right now. This conversation we are having right now is the leading edge of the evolution of consciousness in human relationship. Now, that would be totally true if I wasn't reading from a book. So in these times when we part from the actual words that are encrypted in words on the paper, when we like right in this moment, this team and our attention and our intention together is one of the leading edges of the evolution of consciousness on planet Earth. So I'm, I'm pretty confident with saying that. And, and it also is not, again, it is not an exclusive thing. It is not a special thing, but it is some kind of work that you're doing for the benefit of all beings everywhere. It's a bigger work that you're doing. It isn't just for yourself. 
if you can upgrade your thoughtware and put new distinctions into your being, and, and then, you, then you exude a different radiation around you, that, that field that you're making that comes from you, the field of consciousness that comes from you, influences the overall field of consciousness on planet Earth. So this is evolution and revolution in the conversation that we're having right now. So, I mean, the reason I put these things in the book is because it's to take the extraordinary and make it palatable. Like the extraordinary, it's like we're, we're, we're heading towards high voltage. It's like we're heading into the dimensions of higher levels of energy, more voltage, more potential. So it's good to know how to work with that stuff. It's good to have a, like a meta conversation while we're having the conversation to also have a meta conversation about where we're going, about the journey, about the team. So we're putting these pieces in place so you can have a, an overall view of what's really happening here. Because if we didn't put that in, you would, we would just jump into the material, read the book, and stuff would be happening for you, and you would have no context in which to, where, for, to land, to understand the context of what's happening. And so when, when we go further along and there are some new people coming in, you, we'll, we'll have to spend a, a few minutes kind of help, like help me include them in these meta conversations about the hobby, and the one team and the edge of the culture and the evolution of consciousness. And yes, this stuff is really happening. It isn't just, you're not going psychotic. You're not going to some breakdown state. It really is happening. So if you can help me as we go along with new people coming in to, to spend a few minutes welcoming them that, into that, that would be very helpful. So there are thousands of people around the world on the edge of discovery, waiting for someone to go first. As mentioned in the introduction, when you go first, everyone benefits. In fact, I use the definition of the word leader as simply the one who goes first. There's a lot of business and orient, uh, distortions on the, on the meaning of the word leadership, but in next culture and in this work here, leader is simply the, the person who goes first. Somebody needs to go first. So you're, you're somebody who's going first. And, and the ones who are going first are on this, this one team. We are on this team. So document your discoveries and let them be known. What let them be known means as stuff comes in, it will hit you and will bounce around. And in each one of you, it's going to bounce around in a different way. So I would be very happy if some of you, as we start going along, if you would write some articles about discovering this stuff together. There's a fantastic website that's pretty much together called writeyourarticle. Yeah, and Chloe's going to put it up on the, in the chat room. But it's like, if you want encouragement for the importance of writing an article this on this website it just supports the whole process if you've never written an article before doesn't matter um and the point is so it's like we've made some basically an agreement with the bright principle of clarity and the agreement is 
if the bright principle of clarity will download stuff into a space like this, we will give it away to 10,000 people or 100,000 people. We will give it away as fast as we can. So the value, it's a great, it's a great exchange. Then the bright principle of clarity dumps all this stuff into us. We write articles, spread it around as fast, you know, make videos, do talks, do workshops. We spread it around. It makes this vacuum for the bright principle of clarity to throw in more stuff. So please document your discoveries and experiences and let them be known. Write some articles. Use your intelligence and, and use your intelligence to test everything. Everything that we put out from here, test it. Use your voice to share what you find. If you think that what you are discovering is already common knowledge, go stand in a bus station for a couple hours. If you think that this stuff is already known on the planet Earth, really go hang out in a Walmart store or a shopping mall. Hang out at the bus stop. Hang out at the train station for a while. Um, hang around. Yeah, in, watch people interact with their children. Out of a million people, what percentage do you think are doing experiments like these described in this book? Look around, the answer is almost none. Every effort you make to learn about radiant joy expands the limits of human consciousness and human understanding. Every moment longer that you can tolerate the intent Density of the experience of brilliant love creates a building block substance in you that makes this field and is used to transform the world. I beg you to keep doing whatever you can. Keep doing whatever you can. And I just want to throw in here that yes, we will be giving experiments and talking about exact experiments to do. There are many others many more different experiments to do. So just because we didn't say it in the book or in our, in our work in the study group, it doesn't mean it's not a valid experiment. So if you do experiments in a week and you, you can share them with us when we come together, that'll be fantastic. Part four, thinking beyond separation. This book is not a course in philosophy, religion, or exobiology. I don't know why I put that in there. This is the biology of, of aliens. So, anyway, it's not a course in that. We are here to expand our learning and thus expand our competence in creating relationship. Expansive learning includes asking a number of dangerous questions like, where does the urge for relationship come from in you? Where does this urge for relationship come from in you? And what is it that does the relating? When you are relating to somebody, what is it in you that does the relating? These are questions we may not commonly consider. Exploring answers to questions that you do not commonly consider can provide you with insights for taking actions that create results you do not commonly achieve. So that's why they're dangerous, because they induce evolution.
intuition. They induce expansion of consciousness. That's why they're dangerous questions. Let's begin with a question about consciousness. How many consciousnesses are there? Relationship originates between unique and separate human beings. If people were not unique and separate, there would be no distinguishing relationship. We would just be together all as one. The fact that we can conceive of so-called relationships and the fact that we act as if relationships exist as something to speak about and to develop causes us to assume that individual people are separate from each other. This could be a false assumption. It could be the case that all people who have ever existed, who exist now and whoever will exist, are but unique, reflect, uniquely reflecting facets of one whole brilliantly jeweled radiant consciousness. For a moment, let's consider this possibility that our assumption of separation is false. Let's ask the question, if instead of separate individuated consciousnesses, we are all manifestations of one consciousness, where is that consciousness? Let's start by imagining the possible one consciousness as the light from the sun. You do not see light from the sun until it hits something which is why the night sky looks black, because there's light there, but it doesn't hit anything. At night, we are in the shadow of the earth, so the sun does not hit the atmosphere. In space, the only things out there for sunlight to hit are the moon, comets, satellites, asteroids. Even though just as much sunlight goes by at night, as goes by in the daytime, we don't see the sunlight go by when there is nothing for it to hit. In the same way, we do not experience omnipresent consciousness until it prisms through a physical object. Consciousness could be everywhere, but between objects, there is nothing to indicate the presence of that consciousness. When light strikes an object, the quality of the light that we see, for example, the color, transparency, shape, texture, brightness, is determined by the physical quality of the object that reflects the light. Similarly, the quality of consciousness that we experience, for example, intelligence, attention span, flexibility, radiance, creativity, presence, with any animal, vegetable, or minimal mineral, is determined by the physical structure of the object reflecting the one consciousness. The more sophisticated and complex the structure, the more sophisticated and complex the consciousness that it manifests. For example, a stone is less conscious than a flower, which is less conscious than a worm, which is less conscious than a bird, which is less conscious than a cat, which is less conscious than a human, which is less conscious than those structures that manifest a consciousness greater than the human being, and therefore too complex for us to perceive their existence. The fact that we human beings tend to regard each other as separate beings is not wrong. It is just that the separatist view is only a partial picture, a distortion created by 
circumstances and perspective. You, I just want to do a little example. If you hold your hand up, you know, if you just look at your hand, right, right between, there's light everywhere. There's light everywhere. And you look at your hand, but you only see the light right there by your fingers because the finger is there. If the finger was over here, then we miss the light that was going where it was and we pick up other light. Move it back here, you miss that light. So there's, what it's saying is there's light all around in here. There's light everywhere in here. But we only see the light when it hits an object. And that's the same with consciousness. It's like there's consciousness everywhere. All you need is a, a, an object, you know, uh, uh, something, and you can see the, um, the level of consciousness manifested in the object. So, <clears throat> like, it's very cool to get that there's this vast amount of consciousness basically everywhere. And so, if you change your shape, you can manifest more consciousness. So that's what happens when we're building matrix. When we put matrix into our being, we become more complex, more sophisticated, and that reflects more awareness. And you can just look back on yourself five or 10 years before, and you know that you've been doing work that builds more consciousness in you because you see things differently now. You're more subtle. The way that you perceive things is more comprehensive. It's more elegant. You have more options to choose from. I'll read to the end of this section and then let's talk for a few minutes. We human beings can act as individual particles when we hold and defend our personal opinions and preferences, territories and attitudes. We also sometimes act as connected wave formations such as during mass hysteria or shopping sprees, like seven million copies of Harry Potter were sold on the first day that it's published. And the experience of communion. So this would be a connected wave formation. A more holistic picture of a human being then would allow that we are neither solely a particle nor solely a wave. We are instead potentially capable of expressing both particle and wave behavior. We contain this potential to act as either a wave or a particle within us at all times. In physics, an object with such qualities is called a wavicle. Human behavior is more like the behavior of wavicles than the behavior of either waves or particles. As you recognize your wavicalness, you expand your learning and add dimensions to your abilities to, to, inter, to interact. You expand your learning and add dimensions to your abilities to interact. I experienced this last section as a little heavy or a little theoretical and I think that I wanted to put it at the beginning of the book as a way to have it in the context of the book. This thing about consciousness being ever everywhere and us having this ability or this quality of manifesting certain 
qualities of consciousness in different moments, it's because we're so, we're, we're so um, volatile as creatures. We have the, thing, the things in us that, that we identify. Like when I say I, when I say the word I, or when you say the word I, what do you really mean? Which I is talking? And when you start being able to identify the different eyes in yourself through self-observation, you can distinguish the different eyes in yourself that have a hold of your identity in the moment. And you can name them and you have a list of the identities and you start giving your identities names. I did this one time and I got up to 15 different identities that I have. You start working with those identities, all of a sudden you look at other people and you go, you know, they have different identities too. And this is really incredible when you're talking to somebody and their phone rings and they answer their phone and it's their mom or something. And their face changes, their voice changes, their posture changes, their vocabulary changes, their speech patterns change, the whole energy changes. They talk to their mom. Oh, mom. And then after about two minutes, you know, they hang up and they come back to be that identity that relates to you. Anybody ever see anybody do that? They shift identity like that. So guess who else does that? So we each of us does that. We each have a number of these identities. And so Part of this work is to become aware of our different identities so that we can use the potentials of them to navigate relationship and interaction and the spaces that we're in in together. Each, Each identity grabs onto the space in a different way. And so, I mean, that would make us completely crazy. Let's say that you thought you were a real person. Let's say you thought you know, like Benu th- thinks he's Benu, or Bruce thinks he's Bruce, or Callista thinks she's Callista, or Clinton thinks he's Clinton. You know, if we thought that, and yet the other people around us see us change identity from like between one second and the next second, we could be a completely different creature, you know, a completely different way of relating, a different, a different purpose, a different viewpoint. And, and, this would be crazy making in relationship. But if we understand from our own self-observation and from this thing that, there, that there's this consciousness, this vastly complex and intelligent field of consciousness that manifests according to our shape, like our energetic shape, then it becomes very clear that the person that you're talking to could shift identity three or four times in one sentence. And if you can have space for that, if you can make a space for that and and not try to understand them in a logical way necessarily, or try to force them to be a consistent personality because you are, because you're not. You know, if you can get off that, you'll have this space to understand more of the mechanics of what's really going on. So that's what I wanted to bring this whole thing in. Does anybody have any questions or comments right now before we go on?
Clinton, I'll ask a Clinton, I'll ask a question. This is Mia. Okay. Let me just, Mia, just say, I just want to say, I'm leaving this space not because I need somebody to have a question, but also a little space to integrate, sort of integrate some stuff. Just let it settle in. Mia, go ahead. So I grew up with a lot of mental illness in my family. My mother's schizophrenic. How, is can I ask about that right now? Like, what's your what is the question you think? I don't know. I had it and then kind of went away. Like, I don't know. Forget it. I don't have a question. Let, 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 just stay there, Mia. Just stay there for a minute. Look, I, I think I was. It was in my in the middle of the 90s when I really started to realize that every single person I knew was to some degree schizophrenic with these different personality characters that would slide in and take over. And what helped what helped me anyway was to practice doing a little improvisational theater and I, at the time, I had I developed three different characters that I could slide into um, in, a, in a half a second on purpose. You know, I had this Texas guy who was kind of a, in, a, in a jail and he drank beer all the time and he had dogs. And then I, I had this um, English uh, spy character who, who could who was always seeing everything and, and, and was lying all the time because the whole, he was just a spy. And I had this uh, Spanish like uh, farm worker guy and Jose, and he would, he could just, um, he didn't really care about a lot of stuff except, you know, basically burritos. And, and um, <laughs> so, so then I could slide in and out of these characters. And so I, I would encourage you to do something like that is to, practice having at least one or two other characters that you can do on purpose as a as a improvisational theater piece and um it, it gives you some it like greases the hinges a little bit for because later on pretty soon as we're reading in the book it will be it'll be required for you to be able to go non-linear because Relationship is an ongoing actions of nonlinear creation. If your partner thinks that you're predictable, it's, it's already over. If your partner thinks that they know who you are, that you, are, that you can be predicted, that you have behaved in such a way, you put yourself in kind of a prison that's dead. There's a deadness. And you know people, you know people who put on this kind of show that they're solid, stable citizens of, of Germany or whatever, and follow the rules and have the German breakfast every morning. And, you know, this whole series of behaviors that make you predictable, that makes your, basically, relationship is dead then. You don't, you're not really alive enough. You're not paying respect to the diversity of possibility available in every moment, the richness of, of options that are available in every moment to choose from. And so being able to go nonlinear. So it's like, here, 
here's, here's what the reality kind of looks like this. You look around and you see it like this, and you have this capacity to just go this way, you know, or this way. You can, you, you can, you can just go non-linear, perpendicular to the current space in any moment. This is required for a living relationship. So if, if your partner already thinks that you're going to wake up in the morning, you know, uh, burp, and then scratch yourself and say, morning, you know, if you're going to do that every morning, or if somebody goes, and you go, God bless you. And, you know, and if they know that you're going to say, God bless you, or Gesundheit, after somebody sneezes, you are completely predictable. You are functioning as a, a zombie, basically. It's a zombie. You're already dead. So we have this huge, immense resource of, and capacity to go nonlinear. And since relationship is this ongoing actions of nonlinear creating for the aliveness to be there, then you need to be able to um, shift. You need to grease the hinges to, to shifting out of whatever you're in right now into the next thing without holding on to the old thing, without holding on to the thing that was just there, you, you, like letting it go lightly. You let it go lightly and you're in the next thing. We'll, we'll, we'll be working more with this. There's a lot of ways to do that. But I, um, yeah, but it's about, it really is a kind of conscious schizophrenia, the ability to shift from one space to another space. Whereas Mia, like for your mom, who wasn't conscious, it wasn't her purpose, wasn't her intention. It was like a, it was a mechanical, short circuit in her brain and the thing would happen without her control you know without her volition no willpower so so we're delicate things and there's things that can knock us off like that off balance i mean so so i'm sorry about that you about for your mom and it's like it sets up a an instability in our own psychology when we're around people like that it sets up an instability in us that is a can be perceived as psychological abuse and it's like okay we've all been abused physically sexually energetically intellectually emotionally god psychically we've been abused in many different little ways um to take it as abuse puts us into a victim a victim situation and so um it doesn't mean abuse is allowable or permissible. It doesn't mean abuse is good. But what I'm saying is, by now, by now you can, you, you should have, could have integrated that stuff. I mean, that's what this work is about, is about integrating what, what some people would call abusive um, circumstances into the, the shit, the manure that fertilizes your evolution that fertilizes your richness your you know your production of fruit now and you know shit is shit no 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 two things about it shit is shit and can be used as uses so that's about this is about putting it to good use and so mia you've 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 had a long you know rung a run 
an exposure to um, a, a particular kind of a training program. And since, since you've integrated it, you, you've, can, you've not identified with it. You know, your mom is your mom, you're you. You've separated those things, you have a whole new future. This is, you're putting it to good use. So yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. Cool. Uh, Doris? And my question is, mm -hmm. if these parts, these different personal parts are related with, uh, for example, the child ego state sometimes, or also the rescuer and all this? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And we'll get more specific about that later on, but it's exactly right. Okay. Great. I'm glad you put that together. Shen? Shannon. Oh, yeah. So um, I just wanted to add on to what you were saying. Um, that, that thing that you were talking about, like us just going through the same motions, I call it the dance of polite. And I saw that in my, my former marriage. And it was just like we had this thing. We, we had this polite. But neither of us were getting our needs met. We, everything was just fine. And so it's when you break that pattern and you're like, you know what? No, I'm not okay with that. That you that you're that you can really emerge and grow and expand, and um and and then your other point and and then with what Mia brought up, I assisted a friend of mine who's a a, a psychologist and she had a a small retreat for women with multiple personality disorders, and these women and it was and it was their space to allow that to come out. And it was so beautiful to be around these women. And so many of them had such incredible trauma in their lives. And those, all those pieces of them were created for them to be able to survive and thrive. And, and I loved that space that they were able to honor. And so like you saying that, like, yeah, you can have that. Even Beyonce does it, right? She's got her, I don't know what her name, I don't know what it's called, but like she's a very shy person and she's got that other personality that she takes with her on stage. And so I just loved... Um, everything you were sharing and I was like and and so and when you said the integration I was like ah yeah I, it just it um it just made me sigh and breathe and like ah it's you know like it's okay it's okay to not show up a certain way because it's what it's it, what's expected but to speak my truth and to have a voice and I love that you're you're encouraging us to to have that voice at this time I'll, I'll stop now but thank you thank you Clinton yeah Thank you, Shannon. I'm, I just want to emphasize, I mean, it really, if, if you are taking it seriously enough, I see your hand door just a second. Um, I take it seriously enough to develop one or two characters that you can consciously slide into. If you're a woman, it doesn't have to be a woman. If you're a Chinese person, it doesn't have to be a Chinese person. So it, you know, a develop a one or two characters that you can slide in that has a history, a life history, vocabulary. It has a whole, they, they have their own hobbies, weird little hobbies, you know, that, that, you, that you pick up and, and then just once a day for just a few minutes in, in certain circumstances for no particular reason, shift into one of those identities. And, you know, you go into the grocery store and you, you know, you're dragging, you know, your foot along because it's lame. You know, you have this lame foot and you just drag it through the grocery store the whole time. You know, nobody knows if it's true or not. Nobody knows. And maybe they let you 
go ahead in the shopping line so you don't have to wait so long with your bad leg. But, but do it enough that you're okay with expanding your rigidity, uh, your grip, like your, gr your, your grip. Because here's the thing, the psychological defense strategy that we have developed that has allowed us to survive so far has a grip on us. It has a grip and it has its reason is because you will survive this way. You have to have it like this. You have to do this. You have to control things in a certain way or manage stuff. You have to be a, play a certain status role above or below. You have to engage with certain hidden purposes. You have to do this strategy because you will survive because you have survived. It's that easy. You have survived up until now. Therefore, you will continue to survive if you implement that same strategy. So that grip, that grip is so strong in terms of, it's like a chicken's shell around the chick. It is, it is a real thing that we would come through or break out of in authentic adulthood initiatory processes that can crack, you know, crack the eggshell that really rip the cocoon open, that really these processes are big and strong and clear and powerful and imperative. They're irrefutable. An initiatory process is irrefutable if it's authentic and it will just, it makes it so that the grip is lost, the grip is broken. We, we have not had those initiatory processes, so we have to find ways to do it for ourselves and that's one. One of those ways is to consciously shift identity and play it out for five or ten minutes. Even if your box is freaking out, your mind is going embarrassed, or I can't do that, or I don't do that in public, or what are people gonna think? You know, or God, what, what kind of rumors are they gonna say? Or what if somebody knows me here? Or the, all those projections and expectations. Like when you can shift into the different character spontaneously on your own. You know, one of my characters I'll just show you is this, it's this kid who was 12 years old. He talks like this, and he talks, in this way, he had this speech impediment because his mother hit him in the head with a frying pan when he was a little boy. And he can't talk any better. His name is Peter. And he talks like this all the time and he can't talk any other way. So <laughs> anyway, I, I really, something like that. You can really pick up a completely different way of being. Okay. Yeah. So I really encourage you this week to do that. And so I, next time we come on next Monday, I'm just going to have you do your, you know, your character for five seconds so we can all see who, who you really are. Dora, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was uh, going to say something to build on that. And another thing to like warm it up. I used to do like uh, the improv theater thing too. And then I used to like get out of the, the class just I, I offer this as an experiment to everyone. Uh, just like talk to a lot of people, just like random people, like approach a lot of people. And you, when you, your example is like going full on, but you can also do what I used to do is um, start a conversation like normally, like my character. And then they ask me like, what do you do? And, and then in that moment, I'm, I'm like switching. I'm like, I train wild horses. 
and then starting to build this character that trains wild horses and stuff like that. So it's like, I didn't build like the whole character, but I was like, you know, switching this character in the middle of the conversation and help me warm up. And I found it like in the end of the night, I'm like, I'm, I'm fi really feeling that flexibility about mm -hmm. like, I'm nothing. It's just like what I'm going to play to the situation coming to me. Yeah, thank you. The only thing I would modify in that for the work that we're doing is not to lie. So if you if you train wild horses, then it's great, say that. But if you're, you know, if you don't, don't, it's just a, it's an actor thing or a, it's too much of a fantasy world. So um, I'm just don't lie. Because there's the, you can be, you can have the possibility of nonlinear possibility and integrity at the yeah. same time. When I'm doing it, it's like in a playful way. I feel like they know they're like laughing and eventually I'm telling them maybe in the beginning, it's like a playful thing. It's not like actually blindly lying, but. Cool, thank you. Cool, all right, I'm gonna read. Oh wait, Ingrid has her hand up. Go ahead, Ingrid. Uh, my question was simply, uh, uh, when I tried to sw uh, to switch to another identity, could I even tell the other person that I'm doing this? And and not because of a reason of security, but because of a reason of um, non-linearity. Mm, the kind of question that you just asked is one that that you could answer through your own experiment okay so this is this the book is going to be doing more and more of that it's going to be putting the responsibility back on us to do our own experiments and find out you know the book is big and heavy and everything but it is not an authority the whole book the whole purpose is to take back our authority for so many different things um, if, you, if authority is an issue for you, we're also working on a website called authority at mystrikingly.com. So, enrage club. I, uh, I get to do a 30 second commercial for and Chloe's rage club. Know that it's just that um, there's a way that you need anger to recover your authority. If you don't have access to, to the direct experience of conscious anger, it's not very easy to take back your authority for deciding, for doing experiments, for being different from how everybody else is being. These are all different kinds of authority that you can take back. And, it's, and so um, we were surprised in the last four weeks how, how many people took back huge chunks of authority in there in, during the four weeks of the Rage Club using anger. Okay, here we go. Number five, taking your time. This book will explore ordinary, extraordinary, and archetypal domains through taking the time to study the maps and practice the soft skills presented here. You will be discovering previously unrevealed dimensions of relationship. You obviously want these skills 
and now, and you want them now and you want them right away, perhaps you're already asking, does true love itself exist? If so, prove it. How do I get there from here right now? Like that's, that's our, that's the millennial habit. It's a millennial orientation. It's I want it now. And then I want to see if I like it or can do it or understand it. And if not, go on to the next thing. So the answer to this and every other how to do it question is you get there one step at a time. Learning is excruciating, learning in excruciating detail exactly what we are up to now is the first step to the possibility of being up to something else. This is a very powerful tool in magic, just in case you're getting the magical implications of what we're talking about here. But learning in excruciating detail exactly what you are up to now is the first step to the possibility of being up to something else. Seeing how we trap ourselves in the ordinary propels us to leave the ordinary and enter the extraordinary and archetypal. So this is a little hint that we will be looking at painful things for a while to identify all the ways that we're creating the ordinary. And this will be just as painful, but there's not really any other way around it because like human beings don't actually change anything and get until it gets too painful to keep doing it the old way. This is our, we are animals after all. While you are reading this book and experimenting with these ideas, the possibility is open that you may encounter the extraordinary. If the extraordinary happens to you, try not to overreact. This whole universe is extraordinary. If you notice and appreciate extraordinariness happening in the microcosm around you, make the time to write it down. This is what I was saying before. Writing down your experience changes it from subjective to objective, which is the same as saying, if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Keeping notes on your journey can prove to be invaluable for building matrix. There are some hints that make your writing more effective in transforming extraordinary experience into objective reality. When you write, try not to figure it all out or psychologize it. Don't write what it means to you personally. Just write down what happened. Allow yourself to savor the deep, sensual nuances of the experience and keep exploring. Don't get off the elevator at the first floor. It's a metaphor. If you're, if you can imagine spaces being at different levels on it by an elevator, then the idea would be, you know, the elevator. gets to the candy and then you get off the first floor and you can shop for candy but then the elevator door closes and keeps going up and you are no longer in the elevator so the trick is to stay in the elevator and don't get off at the first floor go up some, 
some other floors before you don't let your gremlin take you out the elevator at the first door. Instead, stay in, stay with it and keep going as high as the elevator can take you. So you don't always have to do this. I kind of, I kind of have to remind myself this. I don't know how many of you are giving public talks or anything, but sometimes I really, I just shoot for the highest floor everywhere. And then it's, it's like people who can't, who can't really pay attention at the high floor level, they lose out. They don't feel satisfied from the talk. So um, sometimes what I do is I'll put one foot out the floor, out the elevator at different floors, but I keep one foot in so the door can't close all the way. Then I can find my way back into the elevator and take the talk space up to the next level, then keep one foot inside, go out. So I don't get all the way out of the elevator with people, but then people can, can progress and go all the way up the elevator. I don't know if this is making sense, but it's accurate. Practice tolerating the extraordinary for as long as you can endure it. Habet, did you want to say something? Habet, did you want to say something? Yes, I have a question to this because you said like you should not overreact or you should stay in the elevator and go Hold on. up. If we do instant replay, you will not see me using the word should. Okay, so if you have a little translator in there changing anything that I'm saying into should or should not, you have to shoot the translator, <laughs> okay? Because I'm not saying you should or should not do anything. Okay. Start again, we'll give you one more chance. Go ahead. Okay, so you were saying that it's recommended to stay in the elevator. It is not recommended. <laughs> you just substitute the word recommended for should. Look, every action has consequences. This is a magic school, a flying school. You know, if you, if you do this with the steering wheel, the airplane will go like this. If you pull the engine back, it'll go. So, if you're not aware of, of the consequences of your actions, you will not connect that this action causes this consequence. This is a physics class. We're studying the physics of extraordinary and archetypal and ordinary love. We're studying the physics of it. That's what we'll be doing. So there is no recommendation. There is no should. You get to choose. What we're talking about is what are the principles? How does the machine work? So can you ask your question in that format? Okay, what should be the reason that I should stay in the elevator? I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a tool. <laughs> <laughs> you said should two times. Did you hear that? You just said it two more times. Unbelievable. God, okay, we're going to have to do some memetic surgery on that thing because the should thing, oh, that's devious. Well, that's, that's like one of these pernicious little memetic memes that you have in there about the should. Yeah, should, like should. No, no, no. Look, there is an elevator. Spaces, there's medium, low, and high. It's just like hot sauce, you know. It's <laughs> no spicy, very spicy, and super spicy. And, you do, you know, if you take the super spicy sauce, man, your eyes are going to turn red, and <laughs> your face is going to get sweaty, and it's, you know, you just, but if you don't know the three different kinds of hot sauces 
you're oblivious. So look, spaces, there are different levels of spaces. And the consequence of getting out of the elevator is that the elevator door will close and it will go to another floor and it leaves you behind. That is a consequence. And there's no should about it. You can get off, you can stay on, or it's a trick. You can keep one foot in the elevator and another foot out. You can go a little bit inside and check it around. Was that your question? You know, when I was a kid, I'll tell you this, I was visiting my grandmother with my two brothers and we were bored and she lived in an apartment building. So after about three days, we were going crazy. And this is back in Pennsylvania. And so I figured out because of Mission Impossible television show that you can, there's a door in the top of the elevator. And when nobody's in the elevator, you can open the door and stand on the handrails and go up to the top of the elevator and then close the door around. But what we discovered when we climbed up there is there's a switch and you can turn the elevator on and off from a switch that's above the elevator. So me and my two brothers were on top of the elevator. And when old people would get in the elevator, we would turn the elevator off between floors and they would start freaking out. Now, there are consequences to this. Are you getting the idea? The police came. I mean, they, they <laughs> all right. I bet, can you, can you ask your question? <laughs> I mean, I, I have some resistance to it, to think that um, it's more interesting in the upper floors. Like, I mean, that I would, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I would, I would like to go straight to some place, but why would that place be in the upper floor? That's just my question. Like, I mean, it's, there's some resistance to it because I, I'm thinking of some kind of hierarchy or some kind of um, totally undetached uh, uh, situation where I, where I just keep on shifting up and down. <laughs> And don't want to go anywhere because I don't have any expectations anymore. That's that's what comes up for me. And when you said like you shouldn't overreact, I, I yeah, I might have overreacted. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna do a should appendectomy on you. We're going to put the shoulds in a little jar and they're going to squirm around like little alien beings inside of a jar. And you, you say, you never believe it, but I had a thousand shoulds inside of me. You can show people this jar of all these shoulds that we took out of you and put in this jar. And every now and then you could feed them some little should not food. You know, shoulds and should nots. And they have this little battle inside the jar, something like that. So, yeah, look, at, we're going to, uh, just to be clear, it isn't a hierarchy. It's more like a map. And the map says that, that in the lower parts, in the lower, the map, it is looks like a triangle, but it's not a, a hierarchy. The bottom part of the spaces, the map of spaces, are, the bottom spaces are very common spaces. They're familiar, they're ordinary spaces. In ordinary spaces, there are many, many laws and rules. And you can break the rules, and there's not very much consequence. So you can, 
You can not you cannot stop at the stop sign and you won't get killed. You know, if nobody catches you, you can just go right through a stop sign and and it's no problem as long as you know. So so in the bottom in the ordinary territories, there are many rules, but they're very loose. The further you go up in spaces in terms of integrity or in terms of the, the energy of the space, there are fewer and fewer rules, but they apply more strictly. This is, this, this is the laws of nature. It's kind of a laws of nature until you get to these spaces up near the top where there's only one rule, but it's absolute. So if you could, it's like if you go into that kind of a space, it's like living, trying to live on top of Mount Everest. You can't live on top of Mount Everest because there's no McDonald's restaurant up there. There's no <laughs> toilets up there. You, there's nothing up there but this pristine, like this, this unbelievably clear and storms. Like it, you can't, you can go up there, but you can't live there. So the point of going higher up the elevator is not to try to stay there. It's not a hierarchy. It isn't this is better and that's worse. It is that at the, high, at the top of these spaces, these very, like this, at the center of the labyrinth of spaces, they're so rare, there's just jewels. There's treasure there. So you, when you're doing um, five body intimacy journeys into the archetypal domains, you can get treasure and then you can bring it back down into the ordinary worlds and you can share the treasure. You can share it. So you get the treasure at the top and you bring it down and share it below and then you go up again, but you can't live up there. So it's this kind of a, it's a map of where the treasures are, things like that, okay? It's a thank you. Different orientation. Yeah, cool, thank you. I'd like to read a little more. Let's see. Practice tolerating the extraordinary for as long as you can endure it. So it's intense. I mean, it is intense on the top of Mount Everest. It's not so much air, it's cold. It's, you make the wrong move and you slide off the mountain. It's intense in a space of extraordinary and archetypal intimacy. These are intense spaces. It's like, we'll get to it. Well, I don't want to jump ahead too much. Okay, let's go. Practice this every chance you get over and over. Ask the next question. Keep asking the next question. Do the next experiment. Do the same experiment again. Do it again. Write what happens by splitting off 10% of your attention and write as a side effect without laboring over the writing. Write while using the rest of your attention to have the experience. These are really useful skills to develop. Do not succumb to the temptation of being reasonable by going into your head to analyze, judge, and criticize what you are experiencing. And the hint for that is slow down. Because the mind, the mind moves at the speed of mind, which is usually far faster than the speed of love. And there'll be different ways we'll be practicing that in some experiments, but the mind moves faster than the speed of love. 
So if you stay in the mind, you will just leave love behind. Slow down, stay on the edge. That's the intensity thing. To stay on the edge, you know, we'll develop skills at learning how to feel as we go along here. And fear, if you're at the edge, you're gonna feel fear. And if fear is not okay to feel, you will go back from the edge before you even know you're at the edge because it's intense. So that's what I mean. So I don't know, there's little ways to practice that this week. I mean, if you're on this street, you know, we usually have a, a safe feeling distance when we're, when we're going to cross a street or how close do you get to the street? So go to the street and stand there normally and then move 10 centimeters or like five inches closer to the street and you will feel more fear. Or when, when you're buying something at the store or when you're talking to somebody, just stay silent three seconds longer. Just give the, and just endure the intensity of that. So slow down, stay on the edge. Thinking about experience brings you into your head. Going into your head when you are having an experience removes you from the experience. So then you don't get to have the experience. Just because you've been trained to go in your head by your culture and times does not mean you have to do it. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you have to do it. Experience is rare. It only happens now. God, somebody could write these down in a book. If an experience turns out to be a wondrous experience, you can think about it later. Have the wondrous experience now. Love only happens now. Not going into your head when love is happening takes practice. Take the time to practice. And while we are on the subject of time and experience, remember that the good news and the bad news is the same. All things pass, including wondrous experience. A heavenly experience is just as temporary as a hellish experience. The Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhist master Chogyam Trungpa said, when you are in heaven, be in heaven. When you are in hell, be in hell. And the rest of time, you can think about it. Without experiencing true love personally, you may not suspect that relationship can offer such surprising possibilities. This book invites you to start over again with relationship, and this time to come in through a different doorway. The new path blows away the mists of fairy tales, you know, the guy on the white horse and the damsel in distress. It blows away the fairy tales and the confusion, the outrage and the doubt, and enables you to create a relationship full of mystery and ecstasy that will take a lifetime to explore. Embracing radiant joy and brilliant love is completely possible and, you need to be cautioned. It takes focused 
intentional efforts in time. Unfolding the archetypal woman and the archetypal man takes time. It may even take luck, but certainly lots of time. I want to tell you something. I want to admit something. When I wrote this book, I was in the <clears throat> last 10 years of a 25 year long marriage. So I got married the first time in 1980 and I got divorced in 2005. So this book, whatever, came out in 2000, I don't know when it was. Um, so 2007. So when I wrote most of this book, I was in a monogamous relationship. I was, I was within the construct of monogamy. And so some of the, there's an insinuation in the book, and I, we just had one right there, <clears throat> that, about, that this book is about monogamy. The principles of the book have nothing to do with monogamy at all. The, the monogamous, so I'm going to try to identify the monogamy construct when it comes by so that it doesn't so you don't get it i would i don't want you to get the idea that this book is about monogamy so on on something like the 16th of september in 2016 i discovered i was in the construct of monogamy and it was actually like a um a box like a like a prison it was like a box and it had a, it was a world an entire world was defined by the principles of monogamy. And I had been in there for uh, 25 years. And I thought back and I realized that before I got married, I was not monogamous. I wasn't anything actually before. And then I became monogamous. And then I was realizing that I was in the construct of monogamy and it was a construct. And it had certain principles that I had been adaptive to. I'd given my authority away to the principles of monogamy in my 25-year relationship. So I, I was standing there in this construct and I could see the door that led out of the construct. It's a doorway. And, and in the door was a key, like this big golden key. The key was on the inside. So I, it took me a while to figure out that actually I had locked myself into this construct of monogamy for 25 years without even thinking about it because my parents were monogamous. My wife's parents were monogamous. But, you know, it was like there was this construct of monogamy that marriage was about. And I turned the key on the door. And then I opened the door and I, I just opened it a little bit and I stayed in the construct and I looked outside the door. It was scary as hell. It was like, who am I? Or who have I thought I have been? Or what was I supposed to do? Or the monogamy construct is so pervasive and insanely rigid. I mean, it's, we'll talk about that later, but and so then when I took a step outside the door of the, of the monogamy, I, I was really freaked out. And I took another step and another step, and then I stopped. And I left the door open, 
and I looked around in the world and I could see other constructs of different kinds of relating. So there's, I saw polyamory and polygamy and the Muslim thing and the Mormon thing and the thing that came from indigenous cultures that don't have such structures, whatever. It was all these little camps of different constructs out there. So because if you go inside, then you know what to do and you know who you are supposed to be, what you should be like. And I just, since then, since 2016, I just have been personally standing out there in the elements of nature, just the elements, storms and the wind and the sun and the whatever, just standing out there. And I have not entered any other uh, construct about it. So I'm not an expert in anything but standing out in the raw. And I wouldn't even say I'm an expert in that, but I've had some experience. So I just want to say that as we're going along in the book, I will indicate where the monogamy was speaking through me when I was writing the book. And uh, I don't subscribe to that anymore. So you can do it if you want, and you don't have to if you don't want to. I just want to be clear about when that thing is coming through. We have a few more minutes. Was there somebody wanting to say something? Janet. Thank you for everything you shared. I realized uh, yesterday I blew it. I asked my family to do me a favor for Mother's Day. I wanted a photo shoot. Like, I want to take some pictures with my kids. This would be a lot of fun. We'll go out into nature. It's great. And then the person that was taking the photos, I'd forgotten how they take photos. Oops, excuse me, declined the call. Um, and the way that they did it was very much nonlinear. Like the pictures did not turn out like I wanted. Sorry, my son keeps calling me and I'm not, I'll have to get to in a second. Um, and, and so when I looked at the photos, I was very disappointed and said, you know, <laughs> he's going to call me forever. Oh my gosh, it's 15 year old. Um, so I'm just going to let that, I'll just not be seen. Um, so then <laughs> this is appropriate actually what I'm saying. So then here I am, I looked at the pictures, like these are not what I wanted. This is, doesn't make me happy. And he's like, well, what do you want to go? I want them to look like portrait. I want to look nice if I want to blow them up and make them look really great. You know, this is not it. Like my daughter's like falling over. My, you know, my son has eyes closed. Like, everything was wrong about them. Like you have to direct people and tell them, bring your head forward, bring your body like this. And he, um, <laughs> he's like, you know what? I can't do this. Um, I want to do a nonlinear thing. Like we didn't say it like that, but he said, this is how I take pictures. So then I had to get involved and I did everything and I got the pictures I wanted, but now looking back, realize I lost an opportunity <laughs> for something completely different. And, um, and then there was water nearby and the kids of course got into the water and they were playing and I didn't, I didn't get wet. Uh, but there's tons of photos of them with that. And again, I'm realizing, um, I missed out. I didn't get what, I mean, I could have jumped in the water with the kids. So yeah. And my son is, <laughs> he will not stop calling. I'll give him a second. Um, anyway, that is my story. So thank you for listening. Thank you. I noticed that Benu wrote this question that I just wanted to respond to for his observation. Benu said that the pirate, he says the pirate 
is one of your identities. And he spelled the word pirate with a capital P. And uh, because typically the word pirate is spelled with a small p. And so that's the kind of pirate that uh, the Jack Sparrow kind of pirate, which is like, take all you can and give nothing back. This is the standard pirate motto. And yet there's another kind of pirate that's spelled with a capital P, which the purpose is conscious, theoretically and intentional. And the, the conscious pirate is one who takes radical responsibility for his actions, regardless of what the rules are. And we found it when I first started working with possibility management and it started coming into the world. It happened in Germany, it did not happen in the United States. I had already escaped America and I was in Europe and Germany and Austria and France. And it was here that I was outside of the morphogenetic field of the America and I could actually go into liquid states. And when I came back together, I came back together more as myself rather than as an American. And so it became clear to me that in the German environment, there was a tradition of following rules or giving one's authority away to the rules. And so we had to, we had to create a character for people to use as a way of uh, being with themselves and not having to follow the rules. And that's this archetypal pirate character that so yes, the answer is yes, that's true. Um, we'll be talking more about the pirate, the conscious pirate as an archetypal character for each of us. So, so great. So, um, any other last little thing before we end? I want to ask um, what, uh, what you said about monogamy. Uh, I had experience uh, at uh, the same time two relationship with two different women, and I loved both of them. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't cheat anyone. They knew that, and it was a terrible time for me. Because uh, not, nobody was lucky about that. And uh, I have to choose uh, to quit one of the relationships. And uh, just because it was just suffering there. And if it's possible to be in a relationship or to be married and not to step into this monogamy stuff, Good question. <clears throat> Thank you. I mean, you're going to have to be really careful. It's a longer conversation. It's a huge conversation. Just the whole procedure or the legal, the laws around marriage, they, they enforce, they reinforce monogamy. You know, I actually, at this point, in the last three minutes here, I want to invite you to, if you are if you are quote unquote single, if you are uh, by yourself most of the day, I would, I would encourage you to do an experiment starting this week and for the whole time that we're reading Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love together, which, which could be a while. But the experiment is 
uh, go find somebody like right now, like for no reason, like, um, there are people around just, I know that you're supposed to keep one and a half meters away from everybody and wear a mask, but that doesn't mean you can't like Phyllis told us she goes on walks with people and one and a half meters away, but the people that she's going on walks with are all women. So the thing is like, if you're like, why study this stuff unless you have an ongoing experimental chamber? So I would really encourage you that if you're interested enough in the experiences that we'll be talking about in, while we're studying Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love, if you're interested enough to come on Mondays and spend this time and, and talk about it, <clears throat> to break all your rules and go grab somebody. <clears throat> and it doesn't always have to be one. And it doesn't, and you don't have to have, it's not about sex or kissing. It's not about sex or kissing. You can have incredible amounts of intimacy that are fulfilling and nurturing and um, without even physical contact, basically. You can have, so, so, but it does involve interacting. So you can't, this isn't, this is not fair to have somebody who you write messages to. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about in the old days we used to have, we used to write letters on paper and put them in the post office. And it would take a week before they would even get your letter. Then they have to sit around and go through a liquid state and write another letter. And so it's like a two week thing. You know, we do messages now in two seconds, you know, we're messaging back and forth. This is, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking neither long distance nor micro distance. So, so, this yes, we can address uh, monogamy next time, <clears throat> but there, but be with somebody next time. So by next Monday, grab somebody and start to do some experiments with them. I'm serious. I am serious. Like really, go insane a little bit. Like develop a character who already knows somebody out there that you would like to go knitting with or like roller skating with or shell collecting with or squirrel chasing or like there's a million there's a million things you guys can do together to, to be practicing but see the thing is for this the work that we're doing here to be useful you need an experimental chamber to do the work so so please, 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 by next Monday, it's a deadline. Grab somebody to create and say, look, I need, I need you as an experimental chamber. I need, to, I, need to, I need you to do some experiments with or make up some other story. But it, really, if you don't grab somebody, you will not hit, the shit will not hit the fan for you. Your questions will be theoretical. They will not be desperate enough. Your questions will come from your past or fantasy world of the future. They will not be coming from right now in immediate necessity. Like, so this is a space of immediate necessity where you're going to grab somebody and go, go look, uh, you know, we need to experiment. I need to experiment. I need to know what my five bodies are. I need to know what intimacy is. I need to know how to do these experiments, how to shift identity. I need to I need you to help me track my 15 different personalities so I can put them in my beat book 
I, I'm, I just need your help, you know, grab somebody to do this work with because to do it alone is just so sad. Really, I could just cry. It's like, you guys, life is short. It isn't about thinking about it. It isn't about thinking about it. It's about really getting dirty. It's about getting in the mud. So let's get in the mud, get yourself a couple of partners, they grab some people and do the, make a chamber, make a thing like, make a thing for yourself with somebody, okay? How many, how many people could do this? We'll do this by next Monday. Just, just I don't care, it's gonna be completely insane to do this. It'll be completely insane to do this, okay? But do it, just do it. And it, like, okay, I have to tell you one more story. I. One of my secrets that I don't tell anybody is that when I'm with somebody, I commit to them 100%. I just commit 100%. You know, it's like, I'm not gonna withhold something. I'm not gonna hold back. I'm gonna throw everything in. I'm not gonna be timid. So I'm, I'm gonna encourage you to try this. I'm, no kissing, no sex, but throw everything else in. Like throw, put the whole thing in. I, and one time I did this with this woman, I'd been sitting behind her in college, in class, before I met Phyllis. This is a, in my, really in my math classes and stuff, she was there, and she was in my fencing class also, sword fighting, so math and sword fighting. So this is a good combination. So I, I went over to her house, and we had this great half hour conversation, and I said, I said, this is it, I'm committing to you. So I stood up, and I said, can I give you a hug? So she gave me a hug. And then, and then she said, that's it. It was, it was over. So I had a, a committed relationship for five minutes. So it might be like that for you. But what I'm saying is create the chamber, see how long before it goes. And then build out of the pieces, build the next one. You need to get good at building these chambers. So between from now till next Monday, you, a few of you already have your chamber. This is fantastic. You need the chamber to do the work. It's like an oven. The alchemist needs the oven to get up enough heat so stuff can catalyze and actually do the work. So, great. I'm glad I snuck that in. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys for doing this. Okay then. See you next Monday. And maybe there'll be a lot more people on the screen. Okay. All right. Bye, you guys. Thank you for being here. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.